the book of Acts is uh, an exciting book. I always love preaching through it, um, and we are uh, continuing with that today in our First Steps series, Lessons from Acts, the first false teaching. And we're looking at Acts chapter 15. So grab your Bibles or your, on your phone or in your Bible Bible and uh, flip over to Acts chapter 15. So we're going to be looking at that. Uh, we've seen a lot of firsts, haven't we? I hope you've enjoyed uh, um, thinking about these first. The book of Acts is, is a story of the early church from day one uh, throughout several years, a couple of decades or three or four decades of its history. Uh, and uh, as in everything, there are, is a, always a first for something in, in the church. There were many firsts, first times that things happened or were considered or talked about or uh, accepted or taught. Um, things that you and I take for granted today as Christians as, as being normal and true, like Gentiles, non-Jewish people, uh, being accepted into the kingdom of God. You know, hey, we don't think about that, do we? Uh, but as we saw, there was a time when that was not normal uh, in those early days of the church. Um, the first Gentiles would be give, to be given the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 10, um, paved the way for the world to understand that Jesus died for everybody, for all people, no matter who you are. And since we are all mostly Gentiles here, um, we, uh, you know, that means a lot to us, right? It means a lot to us. Uh, we looked at the first martyr. We saw um, through that the, the fact that the usually... Um, Probably every time uh, someone becomes a Christian, they realize that, you know, it's going to involve sacrifice, and we're going to have to sacrifice something that's valuable. For Stephen, it was his life. For you and me, it might be, uh, you know, a habit we have or an interest we have, uh, the time, the way we spend our time uh, in life. Uh, we saw the first delegation, and there we saw the need that, you know, all of us are members of the body of Christ, and all of us are called by God to be a part of the ministry of Christ. We, we're not to just leave it up to one or two or a handful of people, but every Christian should be a part of ministry in the church. We saw the first response to the gospel, how those very first believers accepted Jesus and were uh, added to the church by God. Uh, accepting Jesus, you know, is, is vital to our salvation and, you know, following the pattern of how those first Christians did it, um, you know, uh, that, that seems like the wise thing to do when we decide, you know, and consider how do you become a Christian? You know, rather than following what someone wrote in a book or what some TV evangelist has to say about it or, or what some, uh, deno a particular denomination does uh, when they um, uh, cause people to, uh, or call people to become a Christian, you know, when we're thinking about how do I become a Christian, why not look at those very first Christians and just, uh, and just do what they did? You know, that, that makes sense to me. Um, how about you? So today, let's talk about another first, the first false teaching. Uh, you know, the division that we see in Christianity today uh, really stems from this first uh, false teaching found in Acts chapter 15. Uh, every, every division in the church uh, really stems from one thing, 
some kind of false teaching uh, or, or some kind of unchristlike behavior, which is not following the teachings of, of Christ. Uh, false doctrine, false understanding, unchristlike attitudes, behaviors, motivations. If we are following God's word with the right attitudes, the right motivations, unity is strong, always. Division is minimum. Once we stray from God's word, uh, once we stray from godly attitudes and godly motivations, we open up the door to division within the body of Christ. We open up the door to God's mission to save the lost being compromised. The first fault teaching involved an ongoing controversy between Jewish Christians and recently welcomed Gentile Christians. And we, we begin with Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Let's look at that. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. You know, new, new things are often difficult to accept in practice, aren't they? Um, Western cultures, like we are as in America, we like we're famous for changing things. We love to change the way we do things. We, we, we can't tolerate staying the same for very long. It's a Western thing. Uh, but even though we are a Western country, for some of us, change, for maybe for all of us, it can still be difficult, right? When you, when you have to change something that you've always done or you've done for a long time. Every time a new or improved smartphone comes out, right? Or a computer uh, many of us hesitate. Oh, I don't know if I want to do that uh, because we like our old one, right? We, we know how it works. We know where all the buttons are. We know where all of our apps are. Um, you know, so we, and we dread the difficult task of, of learning how to use the new one and getting the new one set up. And it, you know, it's, it's, it, it can give us a headache. So we hesitate to upgrade sometimes. I'll just stay with my old one. And sometimes we just don't upgrade. I'm not going to do it. We dig in our heels. Uh, I don't need that new model. My flip phone is good enough. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need that new fangled thing. I'm staying with my old phone. <laughs> well, now, if, if you were a Jew living in an Eastern culture, uh, as, as we find in the Bible, Multiply that feeling, that hesitation to change, by about a thousand. Um, Westerners are all about new, better, different, upgrading. Westerners love uh, to, to change, sometimes just for the sake of changing, uh, especially for the sake of making things better, improved. Easterners are not. Easterners are all about the old, the ancient the way their ancestors did it. A lot of Eastern cultures worship their ancestors. You know, tradition, that's important to Easterners. Remember the, the song in the movie Fiddler on the Roof, the opening song? Tradition, tradition. You know, knowing that, you can maybe understand why it was difficult for the Jewish Christians, the, the, the Jewish people who had accepted Jesus as their Savior, uh, you can understand how it might have been difficult for them to accept 
this new, first of all, this new practice of Christianity in the first place. Uh, salvation by grace, rather than following the ancient law of Moses uh, that the Jews had practiced for hundreds of years. Um, uh, and, but then also doing that, accepting this new uh, uh, call from God to be saved by, by, by His grace, add to that, doing that while accepting Gentiles as your spiritual brother or sister. You know, that was not easy for these Jewish Christians. Uh, and some of them just could not handle it. A, a group of Jewish Christians, we read here in this passage, from Judea went to Antioch. We talked a little bit about Antioch. That was the place where the, the people were first called Christians, uh, we read. Uh, they went up to Antioch, and, and they were teaching those new Gentile Christians that had recently accepted Christ that if they were not circumcised, they could not be saved. You know, there's three outward things that distinguished the Jews from the Gentiles back in those days. Their diet, it was kosher, it was different from the Gentiles' diet. They had special foods and other foods that they were not allowed to eat. Um, Sabbath worship, observing the Sabbath day, uh, was very important to them. Other cultures did not do that. And circumcision. Circumcision. Uh, this was a physical procedure performed on males, usually soon after birth. Um, and it, while it's common among culture, many cultures today, uh, in the first century, Jews were pretty much the only culture that practiced it. In the first century, for men, circumcision identified you as a Jew, as a follower of the living God. And for those who were having a hard time letting go of the ancient ways, uh, they felt like if these new believers, these new Gentile believers, wanted to be accepted by, by God, they needed to have the identifying mark. In fact, they believed that if you didn't have it, you could not be saved. Now, for, for the Jews, circumcision identified you as a follower of God. And it also made you ceremonially clean. That was extremely important as well. In their minds, that was, that was vital. You could not sit down in fellowship with someone who was not ceremonially clean. And for them, Gentiles who were uncircumcised were, were ceremonially unclean. So, so if these Jewish Christians were going to sit down and eat with these new Gentile Christians, like around the Lord's table, when they gathered to, when they would have the Lord's, Lord's Supper, they would have a meal, a regular meal, and then during that meal, they would have the Lord's Supper. And if they were going to sit down and eat with them, they at least needed to be ceremonially clean. So these Jewish Christians from Judea just decided uh, that the only way these Gentiles could be accepted by God, and more importantly, by them, was if they were circumcised, which was quite a traumatic thing for an adult man to have to go through. Well, who's to say that they were wrong? Who's to say they were wrong? How could these Gentile Christians know whether these men knew what they were talking about or not. They seemed like they knew what they were talking about. How, how could you know? 
What is truth? What is false truth? You know, for you and me today, that's, it's easy. You know, we, we don't have an issue with that. If someone, for example, came to our church and, and they, they proclaimed some truth to us that was different than, than what we had been practicing and believing all along, you know, we could simply just say, hand them a Bible and say, well, okay, that's interesting. Show me in God's Word where that is true. Show me in God's Word where your teaching is true. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But during these early days of church history, before the New Testament was written and compiled and distributed among the Christians, how did those first Christians know what was true and what was not? Well, we see the answer in the next verses. Let's start with verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them, these these Jewish Christians that came up from Judea. So, Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way. As they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now, the the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers You know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit, by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you think, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Paul and Barnabas were, were there in Antioch when these Jewish Christians came up with this teaching. Um, uh, And both, if you look in chapter 14, verse 14, both Paul and Barnabas, and I didn't realize Barnabas was called an apostle, but both of them are are referred to as apostles of Jesus. Uh, And they disagreed with these people that came up, these Christians that came up uh, from Judea. We learned that these particular um, uh, Jewish Christians were, were from the Pharisee sect of the Jewish community. Uh, And so, even though Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them there in Antioch, the argument was not settled. So, the church at Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas and some others from Antioch down to Jerusalem to meet with the big guys, Uh, the, the mother church, you might say, to meet with the original apostles of Jesus uh, and the elders uh, there at the church, the, the often called the mother church or 
perhaps the first congregation where the, where the apostles worked out of there in Jerusalem. Now, as they were meeting with the apostles, some of these Pharisee Christians showed up there uh, with this very same argument that they had given up in Antioch. Gentiles must be circumcised, and then here they added, and follow the law of Moses. In other words, if these, if these Gentile Christians want to be saved, they basically get, got to become a Jew. Go through the whole thing. They've got to, they've got to follow everything. So now the argument for this, doc, this teaching that these guys had has been made to, you might call the, the Supreme Court <laughs> of the church. The original apostles and the elders that they had appointed, that were, had been appointed by the original apostles there in Jerusalem. So they heard this argument that these guys were making. And then the, the original apostles and the elders met and they talked it over. They made a decision. And then the, the apostle Peter, who was sort of the, the head apostle, he kind of took the leadership role among them. The apostle Peter stood up and announced their decision. The apostles of Jesus confirmed what they had been teaching all along, ever since day one of the church. That since ancient times, since ancient times, and remember the, the, the Jewish Eastern cultures are all about ancient times and ancestors and, and what has always been done. And he points out, since ancient times, long ago, he said, God has always planned to accept Gentiles. And they are accepted by God and saved, not by following the law. Uh, and he points out that neither you or anybody else has ever been able to follow successfully. Um, because we, we all are sinners and we all break the laws. And so it's, no one has ever been able to really follow it. Uh, but they're not saved by following this law. But Gentiles and everyone else, we're all saved by God's grace through our faith in Jesus. You know, in those early years of the church, truth, truth was confirmed by the apostles of Jesus. And, and as we see here, those elders who, uh, who they appointed and who they taught. In, in this case, the only way, the only way Christians up in Antioch could know whether these Jewish Christians knew what they were talking about or not, or were speaking the truth, they had to literally travel down to Jerusalem and ask the apostles. That was the only way they could know. Eventually, uh, the apostle Paul who was taught by Jesus himself, uh, would also eventually be recognized as a final authority. Um, but it, it was going to take some time for people to accept and trust him. So here, everybody involved needed to hear what the original 12 had to say, what truth was. That's the only way they were going to accept it. And Peter gave the final decision on this matter. You know, that was the way it was in those early, early days of the church uh, when it came down to truth. The apostles of Jesus, they were the source of truth. And those that the apostles taught and laid their hands upon, like the elders that they appointed uh, in, in churches when they were planted. Now, you and I, we've got it a lot easier than that, don't we? We've got it a lot easier. When it comes to truth, we, we've got it pretty easy. God gave you and me 
a wonderful blessing. He preserved the teachings of the apostles for us. And it's called the New Testament. The New Testament. You know, throughout the first century, uh, Jesus' apostles that he taught personally, that Jesus taught personally, like Peter and Paul, John, Matthew, and the apostles, um, uh, and those that the apostles taught personally, like Mark, Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, James. Um, these, these guys wrote letters, and they wrote the account of Jesus' life. We call them the Gospels. And then they made these writings available for Christians to read and to, to, to refer to. Copies were made of these letters that they wrote and these accounts. And the copies were distributed among the churches, those first churches, those, those early Christians. And as these copies of these letters and accounts were copied and, and more copies were made, and remember back then there was a printing press and every copy had to be handwritten, uh, these writings began to circulate around the different churches. Um, uh, and as these copies were circulating, eventually when a question came up, oh, is this truth? Is this false truth? When a question would come up, the Christians wouldn't have to go down to Jerusalem necessarily. They could just refer, hey, we've got that letter from Peter. We got that letter from Paul. We've got that, that account of Jesus' life from Luke. Let's just refer to that. What does that say? And that, that became accepted by those early Christians as the teaching of the apostles. Today, we have hundreds of these copies that were made back in that day. Uh, we usually call them manuscripts. Uh, some of them date back to the first century. You know, as the years pass by uh, from that time, God led men to begin to compile these manuscripts together uh, into what we know today as the New Testament. And strict guidelines were, were adopted when they did this, in this endeavor. Uh, for example, the only writings that were accepted as a part of the New Testament were, were some of the criteria was it had to be written by an apostle of Jesus or by someone who was taught by an apostle of Jesus, like Mark, Luke, James, Jude. Now, there were other Christian writers in the early centuries of the church, the first, second, third centuries, uh, who wrote letters just that we have copies of today, manuscripts of today, people who were very smart, people who were good Christians, people who had wise things to say, people like Justin Martyr, Ignatius, Polycarp, and, and many others. Yet their writings were not accepted as part of Scripture uh, because... They didn't meet the criteria. They were not written by. They were not an, an original apostle or someone who was taught or mentored by an original apostle. I believe that God miraculously preserved the writings of the New Testament for us for obvious reasons. So that Christians could always have the teachings of the apostles. They could always have the truth, right at their hands. You know, when, when Hammer was here Wednesday night, uh, who 
is serving the Lord over in Togo, West Africa. Uh, it just kind of dawned on me as he was standing up there teaching us and he had his Bible open. And, and, and you know, he serves, he serves Christ thousands of miles away uh, in Africa. Yet he was reading from the very same scripture, the very same truth that you and I have here in America. He, he was teaching those people in Togo the very same truth that you and I teach here in America. We saw a video of, of people being baptized, immersed into Christ. And we saw uh, in the video, we saw um, people learning and worshiping. And we saw them helping feed the hungry and clothe the, those who needed clothing and, and uh, reach out to the prisoners. And, 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 and they were using the very exact same truth that you and I have right here in America. Uh, when the Boykin family went to the Belize, they did the same thing. Those people down in C Central America are using the exact same truth that you and I have. God preserved the truth of God for all Christians, wherever we are in the world, when he gave us the New Testament. And I think he did that miraculously, because it would be easy for us to, to mess it up, to really mess it up. Uh, but God prevented it from being messed up. And we have it with us today. You and I do not have to travel down to Jerusalem when we have a question. Ah, is this truth or not? Well, let's, let's jump with the plane or let's have a Zoom call with Peter. Uh, what do you think, Peter? What do you think? Is this true or not? W one reason we can't do that and we don't do this is because Peter's dead. <clears throat> and so are the other original apostles. Uh, and, and there were no successors to the apostles. God didn't appoint new apostles every time the old ones died. No, there was just those 12 and then a few others like the apostle uh, Paul. Um, uh, but that's okay that, that, that they're gone, that they're no longer with us. That's okay because we have the original apostles' teachings right at our hand, right at our fingertips in the New Testament. And anyone who might claim to have a new revelation from God, and they often do throughout the centuries, something that adds to or subtracts from what the apostles of Jesus taught, we, need, we can just immediately understand. If it's adding to or subtracting from the original teachings of the apostles, we know we can just reject it because it's false teaching. It's false teaching. No matter how charming, educated, powerful, charismatic, sincere the teacher might seem. We can reject it because it's false teaching if it does not agree with what the apostles taught. Modern day cults exist today because people accepted the teaching of men like Joseph Smith, Charles Taz Russell as truth. Teaching that contradicted and contradicts what the original apostles taught. Our faith and practice remain, remains true if we measure, put alongside and measure everything that we do by the truth given to us by those who walked with and were taught by Jesus. And there's only one place to find that, the New Testament, the New Testament. You know, sometimes we seek to follow the truth the, the faith and practice of the apostles of Jesus. Um, and, and if we're not careful, we can tend to narrow the truth down to one category. 
Practice. Practice. Doing it right. Doing it right. Sometimes we get so focused on making sure that we're doing things right that we, we neglect to do them for the right reason. For the right reason. Sometimes we get so caught up in making sure that we check all the right boxes. And when I say check all the right boxes, just imagine a, a checklist. Uh, and it's got all the things that, that's required in being a Christian. You know, I've got to go to church, got to do all the things. And there's a little box beside each one. And we can check, oop, did that, oop, did that. Let's see, oop, yeah, did that. So, sometimes we, we get so caught up in making sure we're checking all the right boxes. Weekly communion. Baptism by immersion. Gathering with the church family on Sundays to worship. Putting, putting something in the collection plate. Even studying the Bible, proclaiming the truth that Jesus is the hope of mankind through sermons and lessons. You know, we get so caught up in, in checking all the right boxes that we forget why we're checking all the right boxes. You know, only being concerned about checking boxes is called legalism. Jesus regularly criticized the Pharisees because all they cared about was checking boxes. That's all they cared about. In fact, they were so busy checking boxes, sometimes they'd forget to worship and serve God in the way God wanted them to. Their religion was checking boxes, being, looking, looking religious, not serving God. You know, one of the most important things that they neglected was caring about people. They cared about checking boxes. But many times they did not care at all about people. Let's look at the following verses in Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13. As Jesus went out from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told them, told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means, he said to these Pharisees. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, Jesus cared about, about observing the Old Testament Scripture, about practicing things in the right way. He, he, he cared about the, the Old Testament requirements that were, were given to the, the, Jew, the Jews to observe, like circumcision and observing the Sabbath and offering sacrifices at the temple at the appointed time, remaining spiritually clean. Jesus cared about those things for the the Jewish people, um, uh, before, while, while he was here and ministering before he died on the cross. Um, but you know what? He cared equally as much or even more about people. Jesus came to die for people, not checking boxes. When, when he said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, he was referring to the Old Testament passage of Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6, and the concept of 
the principle of, Mal of Micah, chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. And he told him, hey, you know, you know that, that passage, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You're all familiar with that, the, as he was speaking to these Pharisees. Go back and study that and, and see if you can figure out what that means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He, he was really, with that phrase, that passage, setting up priorities in our walk with God. You know, going through the motions of religion, of being a Christian, just going through the motions of being a Christian, yet failing to love people, especially people who are lost, like those friends of Matthew who are gathering to eat at his house, that is not what God desires. God doesn't really care about our religious acts if they're not motivated by love and mercy for God and for others. We're kind of wasting our time if we're going through the motions of being a Christian, but we don't demonstrate it through love and mercy for God and others. You know, if our example as a Christian is checking all the right boxes, well, I got baptized, uh, I come to church on Sundays, I go to Wednesday night Bible study, I, I, I partake of the Lord's Supper every time, every Sunday. I, I read and learn and study my Bible all the time. All of which is extremely important in our walk with Christ. You know, it's extremely important that we study the Bible and know the Bible. Because it's only in the Bible, the New Testament, uh, and the Old Testament too, that we learn who God is and how God wants us to serve Him and to serve others. That's the only place we can find the truth. So it's vital that we study the Bible. It's vital that we gather around the Lord's table because that's how Jesus told us to remember. It's a way to help us remember what he did for us on a regular basis. It's, it's important that we gather together like at Wednesday night and we, we learn about the book of Romans. What did, what did Jesus teach us? What did God teach us through the book of Romans? We need to know that. To gather on Sunday morning together to worship God, uh, that's very important for us as Christians. Um, but, but if we're just doing that so we can say, well, I did that, well, and I did that, I, I did that, I, I drank the juice and ate the bread, um, we do that, but we don't make loving people, especially loving those who need Jesus, a priority in our lives. If that is what we are demonstrating to the world that a Christian is, someone that just checks boxes but really doesn't care that much about anybody else, you know, in a real sense, our lives are a false teaching if all we care about is checking boxes. Here's what I need to do, Mark. This is what Mark needs to do regularly in my walk with Christ. Before I spend too much time pointing my finger at people who are following a cult, or the church around the corner that doesn't have all the right boxes checked, before I worry too much about them, I need to look at my own example as a follower of Jesus and make sure that, that part of the truth that I follow is making sure that my priorities are the same as God's. And Jesus made that very clear uh, when someone asked him about priorities. Someone asked him one day, hey, hey, Jesus, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? And he told him, 
Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. You know, when it comes to checking boxes, Jesus gave us the most important boxes to check. And, and, and those two aren't just things you do. It's, it's an attitude that we have. They're all, they all involve not a religious act, but love. Just love. Love for people. Love for God. You know, and one of the cool things about it is when we go, th- when we go through those, those, that checklist, like coming to church, we can come to church not so we can say we were there and I did that, but I'm coming to church to demonstrate my love to God. That's the reason I'm coming. That's my motivation. I'm coming to lift up with my brothers and sisters in Christ the name of God in worship. And I'm gathering around the table, not so I can check in and say, well, I did that, but because during that time, we think about what Jesus did on the cross and we, we show our love to him. God, thank you so much for what you did for me as I partake of these emblems. We read our Bibles because we want to know, God, what do you want from my life? How do you want me to live for you? How, how can I love you and love my neighbor? That's why I'm reading the Bible and coming on Wednesday night because I love you, God, and, and I love other people, and I want to learn how to reach out to my neighbor and to reach out to my coworkers and my family to show them your love uh, in, in any way that I can. That's my motivation for doing the things I do that are on this checklist that I have. You know, that was a truth that we just read. What Jesus just said when he stated the two greatest commandments in Matthew 22, that is a truth that the Apostle Matthew recorded so that we can know the truth. We can know what the two greatest things that God cares about are. Love God, love others. And unlike those first Christians, you and I don't have to go to Jerusalem to figure that out and talk to those original apostles. Um, No, it's right there. It's right in our Bibles for us to just pick up and read anytime we want to. So let's read the Bible. Let's learn the Bible. And then let's regularly take inventory of our lives to make sure that we are following the Bible and making God's priorities our priorities. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and and lord uh, what, what a what a challenge it would be to follow you if we didn't have your word i mean it would just be anybody's guess what truth was and there'd be no reason to question what anybody said or or to be accepted for anything we say but we we don't have to worry about that because we have your word you preserved it for us you made sure that we had it in our hands and and, and now we know, and anybody in the world can know, whether you're in Togo or Belize or here in Wilson, we have your truth. Thank you for it. And Lord, help us when we think about the truth to, uh, 
to remember it's not just going through some motions. It's not just memorizing things and understanding things, but it's, it's putting them into practice in our lives. And so as we, as we seek to speak truth in our lives, help us to, to do it not only in the things we do, but in our attitudes and our behaviors and in the priorities that we set in our lives. Help our priorities be the same as yours. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.